Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, good morning. It is an honor to, to be here with all of you today. Uh, worship was incredible this morning, and the presence of God is definitely here. And so, man, I'm just excited to have this opportunity to continue this series uh, that Pastor Chad has been just doing such an excellent job with. But it's the series of a Sunday Drive. And uh, today, our, our main text for this sermon uh, is Ecclesiastes 9.10. And it just simply says this, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. If you would, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for just your word and what it means to us and how it impacts our life. And so, God, uh, just as we prepare to, to study uh, your word and just to dive into Ecclesiastes chapter 9, God, I pray that you prepare our hearts, uh, let them be open and fertile soil just to receive your word this morning. And I pray that lives will be changed and transformed because of your work and your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, is there anybody in the room that uh, has picked up a hobby for like a short amount of time? Okay, like I've done that several times throughout my life. Most recently, the hobby that I dove into and, uh, and, and got involved in was boat building. Uh, anybody else tried that before? Okay, one, awesome, that, that's crazy. Well, so like I've got a friend who's a legitimate carpenter, and uh, he was a part of a small group that I was in, and, and there was one time he was just talking about his passions, and he's like, man, I really like wood as the medium to express my creativity because there's just nothing that you can't create with wood. And I'm like, oh, that's really true, I guess, and kind of cool. And I like boats, and I want a boat, but I can't afford a boat, so what if I built my own boat out of some wood? And so I went on Amazon, and I found a book on how to build a wooden canoe, and I'm like, I guess I'll start with a, a canoe, because that seems easy enough instead of, you know, building my own yacht. And so uh, I get this book, and I, I just kind of devour it over a couple weeks, and then I'm like, you know what? I don't have any tools, but I'm going to just slowly acquire them. So I went online and started finding the tools that I needed for as cheap and inexpensive as possible to kind of build my own wood shop in my garage. And surely, like slow and steady, this wooden canoe began to take shape. And it was 17 and a half feet long, and it literally took up my entire garage, which my wife was thrilled about. Uh, but um, it became this hobby that I was like getting really, really into. And uh, currently, that wonderful hobby is completely disassembled and stored up in my attic uh, to be re re resumed at a later date. I got really excited about this hobby. I got really excited about boat building and, and having this wooden canoe that one day I would, you know, paddle down some raging river with, you know, my golden retriever in the middle and my wife in the front because, you know, the, the back's where the power's at, right? And so uh, I would just be, just you know, I don't know, just having a lot of fun. My, my mind was just running away, but ultimately, in reality, this, this hobby is just something I just abandoned, and I set my focus onto other things. Well, there's this guy in history by the name of David Buick, and he was, like, uh, notorious for becoming super involved in some things and then abandoning them for other things. But David was also really successful. Like, David... When he, was, when he was born, he was born in Scotland, and two, when he was about two years old, his family immigrated from Scotland to Detroit, Michigan, and, um, and, the, and then while he lived there and grew up, he got involved in the plumbing industry, specifically like plumbing fixtures. 
And so a lot of the stuff that he would make uh, all had to go into like bathrooms and and he would install things, and he built this big company, and he, he's honestly, he's, he's famous for inventing the process to bond porcelain to cast iron, and so like that is what uh, became like famous or popular for a lot of the bathroom fig- features and fixtures you see today. That's how they all kind of got their start, and he's, he is the man who popularized the, uh, no, like the famous coveted all-white bathroom. Like That is a result of his invention, his work, his ideas. He's pretty cool guy, and, uh, and I have him to thank for my wife desiring an all-white bathroom. You know, we, we've, been, we, we've got a, a house, and uh, the, the bathroom's a little bit dated, and we're like, oh, you know, what could we do in here? And she just wants all-white everything, and uh, I have to thank you, David Buick, for that, and also the fact that it's a small bathroom, and apparently white makes the space feel more open. So, uh, but... Um, <laughs> But anyway, so David, he, he did this for a while. He built this big company. He made it uh, really um, just, he made it really something. He made a lot of wealth. And, and, but along like this journey, he became like interested in gas motors. And so he started tinkering in his garage, his shop with gas motors. And he invented a thing here, invented a thing there. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to sell the farm and I'm going to go full bore into these gas motors. And so he sold all of his, uh, his stock, all of his business with the plumbing industry. And he had about $100,000 cash. And he's like, okay, here it is. I'm going full bore. We're going to be an automotive industry. And so the work that he did with the gas motor ultimately became the platform for the Buick Motor Company uh, that he started up in Detroit and around the Flint area. And, uh, and, and he had some success because he was doing things that other people weren't doing. And his success ultimately caught the eye of some other big investors who were in like the stagecoach industry. So they teamed up, they partnered together. And for the next 10 years, what Buick started, the Buick Motor Company became the bedrock for General Motors, which up until like the, the early 2000s was the world's leader in car manufacturers, as I'm sure people in this area are greatly aware of. And even my grandfather is a retired General Motors worker from Dayton. Uh, like, like Buick's work went on to do some incredible things, but about nine years into this General Motors Buick journey, uh, he decided, you know what, I'm going to change my course yet again. And so he sold all of his stock. He took all of his money. He got a nice payout. Buick kept the name, or General Motors kept the name Buick, but gave him just money in return, and he left to invest into the oil industry out west. He saw oil as a, as a profitable field to get involved into, and he took his money out there, and it completely tanked. And so he's like, okay, well, I've got some money left. And so what else could I do with this? So he goes down to Florida to try to invest in real estate. And uh, he wasn't Walt Disney. And unfortunately, he completely tanked. And so all of his investments, all of his ideas, all of his success that he had had up until this point in life was completely over. And he moved back to Detroit and became a shop teacher at a local Detroit trade school where he ultimately worked until he died uh, pretty much penniless with no notoriety, uh, no, no fame, no money, nothing to show for anything that he did except for the name that was his now belonging to a car. He got no revenue. He got no extra funds. Uh, he had no part in the company. Everything that he had worked for in his life was gone by the time that his life ended. And, you know, in in this life, not everybody's life ends quite like Buick's. Not everybody's story is quite like his. But an interesting thing 
thing about this life is that no matter who you are or what you achieve in this life, our lives all have the same end. Like our, we, we work for many different things. Not each and every one of us has the same title, and that's a great thing, right? Not each and every one of us has the same role and same duties to fulfill, and that's wonderful. Like if, if every single person in your organization or at your job did the exact same thing, things would be complete chaos, right? Uh, but, but the fact that people have different gifts, different talents, different abilities, that's a beautiful thing, and that's what makes the world go round. And so while uh, our lives all have different uh, pathways, we all are working towards the exact same thing. It's inevitable, and it's unavoidable, and there's no way for you to work your way around it. You see, like just like David, David worked, and he, he acquired a lot of success, and ultimately he lost all of his success. He lost all of his worth. He died penniless up in Detroit, but at the, end of the, at the end of his time, he still died. And there are people that have worked extremely hard to acquire great wealth, incredible finances, a huge success, and they hold on to it till their, till their death. But ultimately, in their passing, everything that they have worked for, everything that they have achieved, everything that they have acquired is gone with them. And so just like David who died with nothing, or just like the wealthy who die with a lot, uh, both, of, both of these people would enter into the next realm of eternity with the exact same thing, and that's a loss of life, life on this earth. Nothing we take with us, uh, nothing that we acquire on this earth, no fame, no notoriety, no, no accolades, no wisdom, no knowledge, none of that goes with us into the next life, uh, but everything that we do in light of uh, eternity does matter. And so the, the thing that I want to point out to you just first and foremost today is that we all share a common destiny, and that is death. So that's point number one. We all share a common destiny, and it's death. Ecclesiastes 9, 2 through 3 says, all share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, for those who offer sacrifices and those who do not, as it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead." You see, this verse is, is just kind of unpacking this simple truth that uh, while we all live, while we all have breath, we work and we work and we work. Some people work towards righteousness. Some people work towards wealth. Some people work towards notoriety. Some people work towards fame. Some people work towards wisdom and knowledge. And all of these things are good things. But at the end of our lives, we all meet the same end. We all come to a point where the breath exits our lungs and does not re enter and we go from this side of eternity into the next and everything that we have done under the sun up until this point is meaningless everything that we have accomplished doesn't carry over you can acquire great success you can do great things in this life but at the end of your life when you cross over into eternity what does it still profit for you and so Solomon is encouraging us to, to look at what we do under the sun and to realize that, that death ultimately is, is an equalizer in this life. The rich will die. The poor will die. The young will die. The old will die. And that's an unfortunate circumstance in this life. Throughout my, my time 
uh, just in ministry, being a pastor for, for the last several years, uh, I've had um, just the, 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 the opportunity to serve at many different people's funerals. And I've gotten to work at funerals and, uh, and speak at funerals for people who uh, were just incredible saints, incredible men and women of God, who it was an honor to stand by their casket. And, and there's other people, legitimately, my first funeral that I ever did, uh, I just, the family was not, uh, she wasn't an, an attender of the church, but I was the youth pastor for uh, their granddaughter, and because of that, I was the closest pastoral connection to anybody in the family. So they they asked me to do the funeral, and um, and at the at the during the funeral, uh, they they just wanted there to be a time where I just invited the family to to speak and just share anything uh, about them that you know might just bring a smile or, or let there be hope. And I, I opened the mic for some testimonies and. Uh, and God has been witness, nobody came forward, and it got super awkward until one lady came forward, and she goes, I know we all don't like each other, but I'm just glad that all of you could sit here for this time to honor my mom. Thanks. Like, it was just, it was just awkward. It was so awkward, and I was like, okay, well, let's pray, and then let's get out of here. Like, uh, but uh, anyway, like, so I've stood by the, the, the casket of people who lived an incredible life, and, and they filled rooms because they were just so dearly loved, and then I've also done funerals for people who, like that lady, just, oh, we don't really know what, what she amounted to in life. I, I don't really, nobody would say anything about that, but I, I've stood at funerals and, and supported families who have just lost infants. And, I've, and in the exact same week, I've stood by families who have just lost their grandparents at 90 years of age. I've, I've seen young men and women go uh, to the other side of eternity. And I've seen people in their middle ages. Uh, I've seen wealthy and I've seen poor. I've seen fantastically smart people. And I've seen people that are just more simple. And every single person in this life, regardless of what you do, regardless of what you achieve, regardless of what you focus focus on, we are all working towards the same goal. We're all working towards the same end, and that end is death. And, you know, like thinking back to, to Buick, uh, if he had been successful uh, all of his days, like if he had built this company, uh, General Motors, up and, and been a part of that and worked, like, yeah, he would have ended his life with a ton of success, and maybe his story would have been different, and maybe uh, his name wouldn't be lost in the pages of the history books other than, than his last name being printed on the back of a bunch of cars, uh, but at the end of his life, he still would have met the exact same end, and that end is death. And so here's the thing, is although death is the end for each and every one of us, regardless of what you go out and achieve, there is still hope for you as long as there is breath in your lungs. Point number two that I have for you this morning is that if you are alive, then there is hope. If you are alive, then there is hope. Ecclesiastes 10.4 says this, Anyone who is among you, the living, uh, sorry, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. Okay, a, a live dog is better off than a dead lion. So uh, in, in my previous job, I was a, a, a youth pastor for many years, and a big part of that job is getting teenagers to talk about things, okay? Like having, facilitating, creating discussions for young people who, frankly, don't want to talk about serious things. They'll talk about video games, but they won't necessarily open up about the Lord super easy, uh, and some of them really do. So if your teenager's like that, praise God, you are a wonderful parent, and if, and if you know, if, you, if your kid won't talk, it's not you, it's them, okay? But um, I don't want anybody to feel discouraged, so whoo, backtrack real quick. Uh, I want people to still listen to me. Anyway, um, you're all great parents if you're a parent. Wonderful job, but, um, but anyway, so all that to say, I really tried to get conversations started with teenagers, and um, 
And one of the, my favorite questions that I would ask these teenagers is like, okay, so if you could be any animal in the world, what animal would you want to be? So just by asking that question, maybe some things are popping into your head. So why don't you just like elbow the person next to you and just tell them like, if it could be anything, this is what I'd be. I'd be a chimpanzee. I'd be this. Like, go ahead. Take, take a minute. Yeah, I'm not seeing anybody elbow. Just tell people. Tell somebody. Just tell the person next to you. If there's no one next to you, like holler it to the person across the row. There you go. Awesome. Okay. So raise your hand if the person next to you said dog. Did anybody say dog? The person next to you said dog. I got so confused because that was such a common answer that I got from teenagers. So many teenagers said dogs. And, and I'm a dog person. I love my dog. We've got a golden retriever, and, um, and he's, just, he's a really cool guy. But uh, did anybody say cat? Raise your hand if someone next to you said cat. No, they are not my people. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I, I love dogs. Uh, but at the same time, like, that's the last animal that I'd want to be. You know, like, that's, that's not me. I would not want to be a dog because if you really think about it, like, dogs bring people joy, but they spend a lot of their time sleeping. Uh, you know, they spend a lot of their time laying around. When you go to fun places, you leave your dog at home, and he just lays there and waits by the door for you to come back. Uh, you know, they eat the same meal twice a day. Uh, uh, unless you live in a house like we do where you have a little one who just throws all their food on the floor, in which case we have a very happy dog in those moments. Uh, but um, he's also gaining weight because of our daughter, so thank you, Clover. But, um, but I just didn't understand why people would want to be dogs. And so, like, you know, my brain, I just I start thinking, like, you know, it'd be cool to fly, but I really like deer hunting, and so it'd be cool to be a deer. Like, I'd love to be a deer, uh, a nice white-tailed deer, so that I can, you know, learn how, to, how they think and kind of understand where they go, what they do, so that way whenever I transform back into a human, I can hunt them with way more success. And, uh, but, but I abandoned that thought pretty quickly because I realized, you know, I, I mean, you, you see me, right? Like, I'm a good-looking guy. Right? And, uh, and if I were a deer, these good looks would translate to some beautiful big antlers, and I would not make it very long, especially this time of year. So, so I abandoned that thought, and I'm like, okay, let's go apex predator, something that's not hunted. I'll go like grizzly bear, and I'll eat salmon and berries all day, and life will be good. Like, but, but like a dog, at today's day and age, these are things that are like worshipped, and they're idolized, and people own sweaters for their dogs. Can you believe that? Uh, one day I saw a dog walking down the road, and it was wearing a sweater and little boots. Uh, that's cute. But what in the world, right? Uh, but like, so, so dogs in modern context, these are like great things. Who wouldn't want to be a dog and have life just kind of paid for them while they lay around? But in the Old Testament, when Solomon was writing this, uh, a dog isn't something to be very fond of, and a dog isn't the kind of life that you would want to live. Comparatively, dogs were scavengers, and out of the realm of predators, they were at the very bottom of the rung. Uh, they would eat the scraps. Uh, they were they were often skinny and roaming the streets just kind of waiting for their next field, their next meal and barely getting by. Well, at the same time, a lion in the Old Testament context, that was something that's like the most miraculous, or not miraculous, the most marvelous of all God's created beasts. And so he's saying like, look, you might have been or you might have known somebody in this world that in like the, in like the a parallel to a, a lion, they were just marvelous. They were miraculous. They did great things. They were at the top of the pecking order. They 
were beautiful people. They accomplished wonderful things. They had lots of friends, lots of success. And you might look at your own life like, you know, I'm, I really am just a dog. I'm, I'm roaming the streets. I'm, scrap, I'm scrounging and, and scavenging just to get by. And every day just seems kind of like a struggle. And every day seems like a fight. And I don't know where my next meal is coming from. But Solomon is telling us that whether you are a lion or you are a dog, it doesn't matter where you are at in life. It is better to have breath in your lungs and be on the lowest rung of the ladder than to be dead. Because if you are alive, if there is breath within your lungs, then there is still hope for you in this life. There is still hope that you can accomplish something fantastic. There is still hope that your name, uh, that your life can matter in light of eternity and that you can do something wonderful, that you can do something miraculous. And that although your life will one day end, there is still hope that while you are alive, there can be great things to come forth out of your situation and out of your circumstance. And so I don't know where you all are today. I don't know where, uh, what you might be going through or struggling with, but I can tell you that because you are here and because you inhale and exhale the same air that I do, there is still hope for you. There is still hope for your situation. You are not too old. You are not disqualified. You are not too poor. You are, your situation is not too dark or destitute for God to not breathe life into that situation. There is hope for you. Be encouraged today that God wants to do something with you. You are here for a purpose. Your life matters and God is going to use you. You just need to lean into him. Point number three that I have, yeah, absolutely, God is good. Point number three that I have today is just enjoy the life you have while you still have it. Enjoy the life you have while you still have it. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 9 says, Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy the life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Okay, it's important not to take and adopt your view of eternity from what Solomon is talking about right here, okay? But what he's saying is he's saying, look, this life that you live is meaningless, and at one point, this life is n- that you have is going to be over, so enjoy the good days as they come. Take every blessing that God gives you and enjoy it as it's presented to you. Uh, my wife and I, we got married several years ago, and uh, we were blessed because, you know, we, we, had, we grew up in Ohio, we went to school in Missouri, and we uh, ultimately did ministry for seven years in Oklahoma. And so when we got married, my wife joined me out in Oklahoma. I'd already lived out there for about a year, and, um, and so we just had like these pockets of friends all over that wanted to celebrate with us, and the fact that uh, Corinne finally let me marry her. And so, um, and so anyway, like I, we, we had different parts. We had different like wedding showers and whatnot, and we were blessed with some pretty cool stuff. And uh, I'll never forget whenever we got married and we I brought Corinne home. There were a lot of things that I already had, uh, but not a, not a lot of it was in condition that met her approval. And so my grandmother she she packed up a box for me when I moved out on my own, and in it she put just like random soup ladles and some silverware that all was mismatched. And uh, she she gave me some plates that had belonged to a lot of other family members through the years, and. A lot of it was was chipped and cracked and scratched and permanently stained somehow, but those were the dishes that I had, and that's what I was using, and 
the, the cups and the drinkware that I was using at the time. It was just a, a nice collection that I had acquired eating at different barbecue restaurants and attending different sporting events through the years. Like, like that was my bachelor pad stuff. And, and so when my wife joins me and we get married, we were blessed with just some stuff that we absolutely needed and immediately put to use. But we looked at this, uh, this, this, these plates and these bowls that someone purchased for us. And we're like, man, these are really nice. And these are really special. And we just feel so blessed that somebody cared enough about us to get us these. And so we took these plates and these bowls and we, we looked at them and we just cherished them and we packaged them back up and put them on the top shelf in a room where we just kept some stuff that we were storing because we're like, we don't want these to break. These are so nice. We'll just use this other stuff for the time being and so that we don't waste these good things that we have been blessed with and given. And I think sometimes in life we approach gifts and and good things that God has given us, kind of like my wife and I have approached uh, this, this fine china, these, these plates and these bowls that we were blessed with. These were things that we could have put to immediate use, but instead we took this gift and we put it on the shelf and we're like, you know, it's nice to know that I have it when I need it or when I want it, but I'm just not going to use it. We hosted guests, we had family over from out of town, and we always served up our food and served up the drinks in, in these little plastic cups and these bowls with chips and the plates with the cracks because we didn't want our good stuff to ever get broken. And honestly, those good things, they stayed on that shelf for, gosh, babe, probably like four years or more, I, I believe. Like, and, and, and we just let these gifts go to waste. And sometimes in this life, we have things that God has given us the ability to do and to do better than anybody else, but we treat that gift like a uh, like just a, a bowl on a shelf that we're just a, we just don't want to take down right now. We know that we have it. We know that we should use it. We know that we can use it, uh, but ultimately we're just going to let it sit there because we don't want anything to happen to it. We don't want anything uh, to become other. We want to invest in other things. Uh, and so uh, and so just today, like one of the things that, that I want to just to point out is that God has given us all these gifts and these talents and abilities that we can do with our hands, like that we can do with our lives. And it's so important that we use our lives and that we work for God's glory and for his benefit. Take these gifts down off the shelf and let God uh, use the days that you have while you still have them. Don't, don't let your life pass you by with this, guilt, this gift setting up on the shelf, never getting used, but enjoy what God has blessed you with. Enjoy what God has done in your life. Enjoy what God has equipped you to do and let those gifts, let those talents, let those abilities, let the work that God has uniquely crafted you to do be a blessing to other people. You know, a, a cool thing about how God has chosen to use us, like we already kind of talked about, but we are all created different, and we're all created with unique uh, skill sets and passions and desires, and God wants to use those uniquenesses that he has given you for his glory and for his benefit. And so not every person is called to be a preacher. Okay, not every person is called to be a worship leader. Trust me, you do not want me to sing to you. Like, not every person in this life is called to work in the nursery. Not every person in this, in this life is equipped to do everything that they see other people doing. And so when you, when you view the world, when you view other people who are using their gifts and their talents and their abilities, it's not something that's like, okay, well, uh, if I can't sing and if I can't dance and if I can't preach and if I can't, you know, like, whatever... Like, like, then, then God must not want to use me. 
And that's just simply not the case, but God has given you something that you can do to make an eternal impact on this world, and because there is breath in your lungs, whenever you die, you don't have to die with no impact, but there is hope that you can make a great impact for God's glory and for his kingdom's sake. And so, so we are, some of us are, are so driven in this life, and, and that is a good thing, uh, and it's important for us to evaluate, like, what drives us. Part of this Sunday drive sermon, or, or the whole point behind it, is just to evaluate that uh, the fact that a Sunday drive uh, slows us down long enough to think about and evaluate what drives us in this life, and it also asks the question that does your Sunday drive, you know, that, that drive that, that you have to get out of bed on a Sunday and to come and, and to this building or, or whatever building you choose to worship in, uh, and, and to, to gather with other believers and to worship and to pray and to, and to just take time soaking in and, and, and hearing God's word. Like what that, that drive that you have to, to get up and to worship and seek God on Sunday, does that drive you the rest of the week? Is that Sunday drive something that's present on your Monday when you have to go back to work? Does that Sunday drive that passion to pursue God and seek him, does that fuel you on Friday? Does that get you through Thursday? Does that get you over the Wednesday hump? Does your Sunday drive drive you the rest of your week? Where does your Sunday drive go on the weekends? Like, does that Sunday drive matter? Does it fuel you? Is it existing throughout the rest of the week? And some of us, we are so driven to be successful one day that we never slow down and we enjoy the successes that come in the present day. We don't slow down and enjoy what God has blessed us with today because our eyes are always so fixed on being successful one day. And while it is a good thing to try to be successful, and while it's, it's honorable to, to, to pursue growth and to pursue wealth and to pursue success and to pursue knowledge and, and, and to invest in these things, uh, if you just continually pursue success and you don't slow down to enjoy the successes of the day, of the day your life is going to begin to feel very meaningless and empty. And so it's beneficial to do those things, but ultimately it's so important for us to stop, to reflect, and to take time to enjoy what God has given us and what he has done in us and through us. Ecclesiastes 9.12 says, moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken up in a snare, so people are trapped by evil desires or by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. So think about this. Since we all kind of live by Lake Erie and the Maumee River, there's a lot of fishing that happens around here. And, uh, you know, just like a fish swimming through the river is just seeking out its next meal just to, to survive and to get through the next few hours, to get through the next few days. When, when they have a hook drawn, like, snagged in their neck and they're pulled out of the river and they become somebody's lunch, like, just like that fish is not expecting a hardship to befall him, when it does, so are hard times that, fall, that befall us in this life. We can encounter and experience challenging, difficult, and dark times when we least expect it and it's just a part of being human. But we need to understand that, that, God, that God can use even our painful times for his purpose. And so I don't know what you're going through, but I can tell you that God can use the painful times. God can use the hard times for his purpose, for his glory's sake, and, and, and he wants to do that. This week I got a really good just glimpse of what God is, what God is like when we go through hard times uh, just with my daughter uh, my wife and I, we were working on some stuff around the house, and, um, and my daughter was getting ready. We were going to 
give her a bath and put her in bed. And, uh, and so she was running around the house in a diaper and socks. And it was just super cute. If you've ever seen a, a baby toddle around like that, it's just, it's adorable. And, and so we're just having fun. And uh, she, my, she was following my, my wife as my wife was uh, just doing some stuff. And we're really great parents, and we put her in a pair of socks without that convenient grippy stuff on the bottom. And uh, so she, uh, as she was turning a corner, she slipped and she fell. Now, at this stage in her life, falling is something that happens quite a bit. We're pretty accustomed to it. But just whenever we fell, the sound that it made let us know, like, okay, this one probably hurt. Like, sometimes she pops right up, and she just goes, like, okay? Like, like am I okay? I'm like, yeah, you're, you're okay. You're not, you're fine. Like, but, but this time, there wasn't, like, a, a pop right back up. There wasn't looking at us to see if she should be uh, concerned or not. She just started crying, and we knew that she had been injured, and so my wife quickly scoops her up, and she brings her to the kitchen, and we're trying to console her and, and just get her to stop crying and feel better, uh, and so we did what every great parent does, and we open up a package of fruit snacks. And we start giving her those one by one, and as the fruit snacks entered the mouth, the tears stopped flowing quite as, as strong, and so, you know, we're sitting there on the, on the floor, both all three of us, and and uh, as I'm watching her eat this fruit snack and just trying to, you know, keep her smiling for a little bit, uh, I look into her mouth and I notice that she really has been injured and she has cracked her front tooth completely in half. Like the, the front tooth was just gone. And, and oh my gosh, the feeling in my gut, some of you felt it because I could hear it. Like, like it's, oh, I just wanted to just curl up in a little ball. Like I, I didn't know what to do. My baby, this, is, this isn't just like, you know, a part of her body. This is, this, she needs this. People are going to make fun of her. I started making fun of her and I called it her Kentucky tooth. And I can say that because... I've got family members in Kentucky, and that's where we all come from. And so, so I can say that you might not be able to, but if you can, uh, if you're from Kentucky too, what's up, brother? Let's go. Yeehaw. But, um, but anyway, uh, like, so I, I look at my daughter smiling, and I'm just grieved, and I'm hurt, and my, my heart is aching. And we get her to the, the dentist the next day, and, and I'm just fearing the worst, you know, like, that, like we're going to have to remove it. She's never going to have teeth again. Like, you know, I'm just hearing all these things in my head, and um, you're, you're horrible parents. Like, what, I'm hearing all these things. And uh, the dentist needs to do some work. And so he needs to get into her mouth to examine the tooth and to uh, just do what he needs to do to make things better and to make them livable for her. And so he asks my wife and I, says, okay, she doesn't know how to sit still and she's not going to understand what we're doing. So we need each of you to stand on one side of her and just to hold her arms down so that we can accomplish what we need to do with, without her getting injured further. And so uh, I'm standing by this dentist chair, and my wife's on the other side, and we each grab one of her little arms, and we just hold her down onto this table. And she's getting freaked out because here's this weird guy with gloves on, sticking his fingers in her mouth, and mommy and daddy are standing there holding her down and not letting her up. And she's panicking, and tears are streaming down his face, or her face, not the dentist, uh, maybe my face, but uh, you know, tears are streaming down her face. And, uh, and she just didn't understand what was going on. All she knew is that it was scary, and it hurt, and she didn't like it. And they had to sand down her tooth, and I'll never forget, like this little girl, she has me so wrapped. It's ridiculous. She looks at me with tears in her eyes, and I'll, I'll just keep this till I, till I one day die, but she looks at me, she goes, Daddy! I'm like, oh no, oh no, like I'm just, I'm, I'm done, I'm done, take me now. Like, uh, but but she, she's, she's going through this, and, and ultimately, this is a process that is painful, and it's scary, and it's hard, and it's challenging, but it was something that we needed to have done in order for her uh, to have a better future, in order for 
for, for the, the problem that, that we encountered in order to get to the other side, we had to go through this painful moment. And so as her father, because I loved her, I had to stand on the side of that little dentist chair and, and hold her down so that she could make it through this challenging time better on the other side. And sometimes when we go through hard times in this life, God is like our heavenly father standing on, this, on our bedside and he's holding us down and he's saying like, look, I know right now this is hard and I know right now this is painful and I know right now that you don't like this and you're scared and you're hurt, but this is for your benefit and things are gonna be so much better on the other side. You just have to trust your heavenly father and that's what God is. That's what he does for us and, and I got that glimpse of him this week and, and so just like uh, Ecclesiastes 9, 12 says, moreover, no one knows the hour when, or knows uh, when their hour will come and just like fish are caught in that cruel net, we don't know when hardships are gonna come. We don't know when we're gonna face trials. We don't know when we're gonna go through pain but we know that if, if you're living your life for God and if your Sunday drive drives you throughout the week that the, the work that you are doing, the life that you are living is not meaningless but it has an eternal impact and so you might be asking yourself, okay, so you're, you're, you're talking about living a life that, that has an eternal impact, and, and, and you're talking about you know, like living a life that's, that's not meaningless, even though everything that Solomon says is, is pretty much meaningless. Not, think, anyway, uh, but, um, so, so we need to, in order to, to live a life um, or to find meaning in this meaningless life, we need to uh, stop and evaluate what drives you, what drives me in this life, what am I driven by? Are you driven by work? Are you driven by wealth? Are you driven by success? Are you driven by knowledge? Are you driven by, you know, having a big family? Are you driven by uh, just, you know, acquiring a lot of stuff? Are you, acquired, are you driven by, by fame? What drives you in this life? Ecclesiastes 9.10, our main text for today, just says, whatever your hands find to do, do with all your might. And I encourage you, do it with all your might for God's glory, not for your own. God has given you talents. God has given you abilities. God might have given you dreams. God might have given you passions that nobody else on this world, uh, that nobody who has ever had breath in their lungs has ever done before, seen before, and, and can do quite like you can do. And so whatever God has given you to do in this life, do it with all your might. You might feel like a dog that is just scrapping by and scrounging and surviving, but because there's breath in your lungs, there is still hope for you to find that thing and to make an impact on this world for the glory of God and for his kingdom's benefit. You might be treating your gifts and the things that God has given you like China sitting up on a shelf in storage to one day use, and if you just keep it up there in storage and you never take that, that that stuff off the shelf, it's never going to get used and your life will ultimately end and the, the gift will never get to be used or enjoyed by you and your grandkids will probably sell it in a yard sale someday. Who knows what's going to happen to it? But, but God has given you these gifts, these talents, these abilities, these, uh, these, these, these blessings in order to use today for his kingdom's benefit. And so ask yourself, what is it that you can do? What gift has God given you? What, where are you currently planted? What are you doing? You don't have to be like uh, David Buick and, and just sell everything you have and, and to go find a new field and just try something new. That's not necessarily what, what you have to do, lest the Lord really, really, really makes that clear to you. But, but where are you currently 
planted? Where are you currently living? What are you currently doing? Where are you working? And how can you do that job? How can you do that thing to the best of your ability? And how can you make an eternal impact where you work? How can you make an eternal impact with your family? How can you make an eternal impact in your friend groups? The people that you work, that you hang out with on the weekends, how can you be the best friend of them possible? Be the brightest light to those individuals. One of the things that I always told my youth group is that you could be the only Bible that your friends at school ever pick up and read. The way that you live your life, the things that you say, the things that you do, the things that you don't do, that could be the greatest and only representation of Jesus Christ to these people who are lost and dying and without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So everything that we can accomplish under the sun is meaningless. And when our life ends, all of our wealth, all of our accomplishments, all of our success no longer matters to us. Just kind of like with, with David Buick's life. You know, his life in the end, all of his success, all of his wealth, everything that he had and earned, it was all gone and it was all meaningless in the end. He died a penniless person. But in the exact same way, at the end of our lives, everything that we work for, everything that we accomplish, it no longer matters to us. The only thing that matters is what's on the other side of eternity. And so I encourage you to, to understand this. If you don't hear anything else that I say today, hear this. Our work on, under the sun only matters in light of Jesus' work on the cross. The things that you do in this life only matter if, it, if the, the light that is shining from the work of Jesus is shining on your work, if the work that you do is for him. And so as you go about your life, maybe you are a contractor or you're an accountant or you're a plumber or you're a farmer. I don't know. There's probably more careers in here than I could ever name. But whatever it is that your hand finds to do, do it for the glory of God. Do it to the best of your ability. Take those gifts off the shelf if they're on the shelf and be begin to use them, step out into new ways, do new things, and let's reach people for God's glory and for his kingdom's benefit. And this is so important. This is, this is why it's so important to slow down and to ask yourself what drives you in this life. What can you find to do that no one else can do that you can do for the glory of God? Does your Sunday drive drive you the rest of the week? And I believe today that God is calling some of us in our Sunday drives and in this drive of life to a moment where we're going to shift. So in my, in my life, uh, there was a point in our marriage where my wife and I, we had one car and we, we needed two cars. She um, got a job on the other side of town and it was just going to be way easier if, if I had my car and she had hers because even our lunch breaks didn't even match up. And so, uh, so we saved up some money uh, and, and I started looking for, for a second vehicle for myself and and I had my eyes set on a Jeep Wrangler, and, uh, and I found one, and uh, I, I made sure that I got it. And, but the, the Jeep that I found, because we didn't have a, a ton of money saved up, so, uh, and we just, we just wanted to do the no debt, pay cash thing, so I found one in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is about two and a half hours away from where we lived. It's in like the Ozark Mountains, super hilly. Um, but we, we found it, and I was like, okay, this looks like a good deal, and the price is right, so we can pay cash, especially if I'm able to talk them down a little bit like everybody wants to do, and so we drive down. Uh, it's a beautiful drive, beautiful day. We get there. We check out the Jeep. Uh, the guy says, do you want to test drive it? And I say, how about you drive it, and I'll sit in the car and, and just kind of pay more attention to some stuff, and so you know, I, he does that. He drives it, and, um, and we just say, hey, would you pull into this mechanic shop? We just want to have him run some diagnostic tests, so we pull in. The mechanic does the tests, and everything comes out clear, so my wife and I were like, okay, we feel pretty good about this, so we get the Jeep back to his house, and, uh, and we just kind of talk through the negotiations, and I'm like, okay, done deal. Let's, let's 
let's do this thing. I give him the cash. He gives me the title and the keys, and he goes back inside, and I just bought the car. Like, I, the, the Jeep is mine. I'll never forget, I, I jumped into the driver's seat, and uh, I realized to myself, okay, up until this point in my life, the only cars that I've ever driven have shifted manual, or uh, sorry, automatically. They've only been automatics, and I just bought a manual. Like, this thing is something that I need to learn how to shift. And so I, uh, I've got the car. It's mine. It's the title signed, and uh, it was time for me to, to learn how to drive a stick shift. And so I did what any good millennial does. I opened up my phone, and I went to YouTube. And I watched a couple videos on how to drive a stick shift in this guy's driveway. And so, and I even cross, you know, it's important to cross-reference stuff. So I watched one guy's video and then another just to make sure that they're both giving me the same instructions. And sure enough, they were. It's a pretty straightforward process. And uh, I put this thing in reverse and pulled it out of the driveway and then immediately stalled out right there in front of the house. And so uh, through a little bit of trial and error, I made a couple laps through his neighborhood and just kind of circled the block a few times. But, but seriously, this was like, this was the mountains, and it was hilly, and some of you already know, it was not easy to drive that stick shift for the first time in the mountains. If you ever come to a stop, <laughs> whoa, hit those brakes, but uh, it, it was a challenge, but I ended up taking this Jeep two and a half hours back to our house, and I learned how to drive this stick shift. And, 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 and a cool thing about that is that, you know, like up until this point in my life, all the shifting had been automatic. But that was a moment where I had to consciously learn how to shift. I had to consciously shift in my life. And, and I think for a lot of us, it's really easy to kind of make this comparison between automatic shifting and manual shifting with our own lives. You see, sometimes transitions just come automatically for us from the time that we're little. Our parents and roll us in preschool or, or kindergarten and off to school we go and that's a big automatic shift that takes place because your parents make you do that and and so every single year you advance a grade hopefully maybe uh, and 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 you you work your way up through the system and the process until you know that your your school system finally says okay we're done with this kid and and move them on out to the next phase of life and and sometimes those shifts are even uh, more automatic than what we might think and for some of us there's there's really uh, a lot of different ways that life can take us and for so for some people that's college and college can just kind of be the next automatic move that people take for other people making a shift into a career is is a better choice for them and and that's a great move as well and and sometimes that can be automatic, and other times at this point in life, it can be a little bit more of a manual shift. And, but as we go through life, there's a lot of moments that just feel more automatic than they do manual. But I believe that today, in this life, in this church, in our pursuit of God and the plan that he has for us, God is calling some of us to shift. And it's going to be a shift where you're going to have to think about this. You're going to have to learn new things. You're going to have to step out into new waters, and, and you're going to have to this might not be an automatic shift that your life takes, but this might be a more manual shift. Up until this point, you might simply have been attending church and your Sunday drive might just be an automatic thing. You come to church on Sundays, you sit in the seats, you raise your hands during worship. Maybe you don't. Uh, maybe, maybe you listen to the sermon. Maybe you check out. But God is calling some of us today to move and make a shift from being an observer of what God is doing in the church and in, his, in this community and in our city and in the world to being a participant of what God is doing in this church and what God is doing in our community and what God is doing in this city. Some of you might be participating
participating in, in what God is doing. And you might serve as a worker in the church. You might, you might work hard at, at, at sharing Jesus with people. But I believe God wants to raise up leaders. And God might want to make ha, cause you to shift in your life. And you might be faithfully carrying out work and good work for the cause of Jesus Christ. But God wants to shift your life into a, a role of a leader where you are no longer just doing work, but you are leading work. You are leading efforts. You are leading charges to see lost people come to know Jesus. Uh, some people in this church, you might be leaders, uh, but God wants you to shift in your role as a leader as well. Uh, one of the greatest men in the New Testament was uh, goes by the name of Paul, and Paul was a leader who displayed this step so miraculous, just, uh, just uh, expertly, because he was a leader in, in God's church, but he wasn't just a leader. He was a leader that developed other leaders. He created disciples, and God wants some leaders within this church to raise up and to not just be content with what God is doing in them and through them, but to want so badly to see God do it in other people that you raise up and you build up other people all around you so that they can build up other leaders. Pastor Chad talks all the time, and I get so excited, and I'm so, I'm so proud of the fact that our church from the very beginning was started with the mindset of there are too many lost people here in Toledo. There are too many people each and every day going about their meaningless lives without the life-saving knowledge, the life-changing knowledge, the eternal difference maker that Jesus Christ is. And so it's our job, it's our purpose as a church to reverse that trend and, and to, re to reverse the work of the enemy in this city and to bring God's glory into the lives of people who are lost and far from him. And if we're going to see this take place, there needs to be shift. You might need to shift into becoming a worker. You might need to take that gift down off your shelf. You might feel like a dog that's roaming the streets and you're just barely scrapping by and you just need to understand today that there is hope for you. There is a plan for you that is bigger than anything that you could ever comprehend, think, or imagine. God wants to use you. He wants to take your life and he wants to take something that ultimately could end up meaningless and make it oh so meaningful for his glory's sake. Are you with me today, church? God is good. Well, church, I just, I'm excited, and I believe that we can do this. I believe that this is a goal and a mission that is attainable if we just put our, 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 our hearts into this and we seek God, we do whatever God has equipped us to do to the best of our abilities and let God get the glory through it. And so if you would, would you bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. And Lord, I thank you that even though this life ends the same way for all of us, we have the opportunity to make an impact impact on eternity. So God, today I pray that you help us and that you equip us. I pray that you give uh, people in this place dreams. I pray that you give them passions. I pray that you give them desires. God, I pray that people go home today and they, in a spiritual sense, they take gifts off the shelf and they begin to practice. God, I pray that they take dreams that maybe you have given them long ago and that they reawaken in their hearts and in their lives. God, we pray that there are people who aren't here this morning who are far from this place and are far from you, but because of what you do in the hearts and in the lives of people here today, God, we pray for growth in the kingdom, in the spirit realm. We pray for souls to come to know you and for your, just all for your glory's sake. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody together said, amen. Well, church, it has been an honor to share with you this morning. May God bless you as you go about your lives for the rest of the week. We hope to see you on Wednesday. Have a good one.